If I were to ask each of you to write down on a piece of paper where you see injustice in the world, at the end of the night, I would have dozens upon dozens of different ideas of what injustice there is. I sent a message out a couple weeks ago to all of the youth team, and I got dozens of examples of where there is injustice in the world. But as we gather here tonight, as we worship, as we lift up songs, as we lift up praise, as we gather here together in fellowship and have this great opportunity to spend time together, there's a world of injustice all around us. And we cannot stand here and sing and refuse to believe that it's out there. Right? I, uh, someone mentioned to me the other day, actually Becky Postaway, uh, talking about having the ostrich like their head in the sand. You all have ever seen a, an image of it, like a cartoon with the ostrich with their head in the sand? Did you know, fun fact, side note, that they did a study for over 20 years on a group of ostriches in captivity and never once did they put their head in the sand? Side note. They, apparently they don't do that, but apparently we have this idea in our head that they do. Anyways, but we cannot stand here and worship with our heads in the sand and refuse to believe that there's not stuff going on around us. So to let you know, I brought some statistics of what is going on in the one hour that we are worshiping tonight. As we worship and teach, as we look at God's word for this one hour, here's what will happen in this hour-long period. In one hour, 1,027 people will die of hunger worldwide. Of that number... 342 of them are children, 17 and under. All while we have the food and the resources to end world hunger right now. Right now, let's take poverty. 736 million people are living on less than $1.90 per day. $1.90 per day is the poverty line. If you make $1.91, you're not considered poor. If you make $1.89, you're considered poor. Think about that, $1.90 per day. Meanwhile, the average American spends $101 per day. You might be thinking, I don't have $101. It factors out. Think about water. Right now, 2 billion people use drinking water that is contaminated with feces. If you don't know what that is, go do number two and you'll figure out what it is. So 2 billion people use drinking water that is contaminated with feces. Meanwhile, we go through about 100 water bottles every single Sunday night. Right now, 2.3 billion people have no basic sanitation facilities such as toilets or latrines. They, they go outside in the gutters and you boys in this room came and hit the urinal. What about, what about education? Well, as we meet right now, there are estimated 750 million people considered to be illiterate, two-thirds of those to be women. What about health? 132 children under the age of five will die in the next hour due to preventable diseases. Also in that hour, 35 mothers will die at childbirth. Abuse. Every year, men and women in the U.S. are subjected to domestic violence. This adds up to 1,200 in the next hour will be abused, whether that be through rape, stalking, or physical violence. Of that 1,200, 1,000 of them will be women. And the majority of those cases will never be reported. In the next hour, there's upwards of 1,800 people who will attempt suicide. Excuse me, 18,000 attempt suicide. I did that wrong, 1,800. Of that 1,800, 90 of them will be successful. There's a refugee crisis. 1,800 people will be forcibly displaced from their home in the next hour. They'll be ripped out of their homes with no choice, whether it be because of war, human trafficking, poverty, whatever it is. There are 68.5 million people living as refugees, displaced from their home right now. What about race? 
global and national systemic racism still exists and is very evident in our culture. It's evident in our education system. It's, edu- it's evident in our employment. It's evident in health care. It's evident in the economic situation. And it's not just blacks and, black and whites, but it exists in every single race, cross-culturally, all across this globe. If you ever want to hear me talk about racism, here, come ask me later about going to South Africa and seeing racism come to life when I've never have seen it before. So it's easy for us to think, oh, I don't really see racism, but we also live in a community that's about 99% white, so we don't necessarily see it full-blown, but there, it still exists. What about gender? Women will, women will make 50 cents per every dollar the male will make globally for the same job. At that rate, we are currently processing, it will take 170 years to close the gap where people were finally equal in pay. 170 years. What about abortion? In the next hour, 80 babies will be aborted. What about human trafficking? There are right now 40 million people enslaved in the world today. In the next hour, $285,388 will be spent in human trafficking. And how do we contribute? We contribute because we buy products from companies like Nike, Forever 21, Starbucks, Under Armour, Nestle, Hershey, Walmart, Victoria's Secret, and Apple. All who have had issues in the past of contributing to human trafficking because they have products that are made by forced labor. I'm not saying those companies are evil. Not what I'm doing, but they have some of their products are coming to them from that. Here's another way we contribute. So while 40 million people are enslaved, and a lot of that enslavement is from sex slavery. While that is going on, it is, according to various reports, currently the pornography industry, their net worth is $97 billion. $97 billion. This money is enough to feed at least 4.8 billion people a day. The pornography industry makes more money, listen to this, than Major League Baseball, the NFL, and the NBA combined. With every click, you are contributing right into human trafficking. You might think, no, that's an innocent video. It is not. What about unbelievers? What about unreached people groups? There are 7.56 billion people in the world today. 3.14 billion have never been reached with the gospel. They've been considered unreached. And the exaggerated estimates believe that there's 2.2 billion Christians. And so with that, that means 5 billion are going to hell. 5 billion people. And as I read some of those, some of you already probably started freaking out. Some of you all probably said, Scott, you're starting to get political on me. You're probably starting to say, look, here comes the youth pastor talking about these social justice issues. You think, oh, he's probably just another evangelical Republican who probably voted for Donald Trump. That's not what I'm here to talk about. These are not black and white issues. They are not Democrat, Republican issues. They're not red or blue. They're not donkey or elephant. They're not liberal or conservative. These are Jesus gospel issues. They are not a political agenda. But here's the deal. All these issues have come about because Christians and the church, I'm going to be a bold statement here, have allowed it to. We've allowed it to happen. What do I mean by that? See, every generation, in my opinion, every single generation can look back and talk about the big cultural problem of the day, the cultural crisis, whether it be a certain sin that was elevated or certain struggles that were elevated, whether it be racism or same-sex marriage, whatever it was, we can look back over all these things and look on and say, the church got silent. And now here's, let me be clear, in the next few weeks we're going to talk about certain issues, and what I want you guys to know, the Word of God is the same today and forever and always. It has not changed, that I'm still going to preach that the biblical definition of sin still exists, but 
I also believe that we still are to love every single person and speak truth into their life, speak love into their life. So just know that. But here's a story for you of a perfect example of how this happens. So during the Holocaust, you know, Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Jews are being taken to their death in camps. There's a church, there's a book that wrote about this, um, and the, this church was right on the railroad track that the railroad behind it went right to the prison camp. And they would gather every single weekend, they would sing songs, and every, every, every weekend during the worship service, a train would go by full of Jews screaming as they're going to their death. And you know what the Christian church, the Christian church, you know what they would do every single Sunday as that train went by? They play the piano, play the organ a little bit louder, and sing How Great Thou Art just a little bit louder, just so they wouldn't hear the screams of the people going to their death. The writer of that story goes on to say that he still hears their screams every night as he goes to bed. See, for generations, the Christian idea is let's just sing louder. Let's just put our head in the sand. Let's refuse to believe that is going on around us. We don't really believe this. But I'm not saying that every Christian has done this, but as a whole church, in its attempts to be socially acceptable, politically correct, it has distanced itself from its mission to seek and save the lost. That's what the overall mission was. But you don't want to know what? Do you know what the biggest injustice is in this world? You know what the biggest injustice is? Is that we don't seem to care. That's it. The biggest injustice, all those things I listed, all the things that we're going to talk about the next few weeks, the biggest one is that we don't seem to care. Because if we, if we truly cared, we would be radically changed and we'd be radically doing something. But we don't seem to care. The reason we have injustice in the world is because the people of God are just trying to sing louder in the midst of that injustice. Just sing a little louder. Let's just sing all the poor and powerless a little bit louder just so we don't have to hear what's going on. Let's just lock the doors. Let's just close off. Let's close the blinds. Let's hide in here. Let's pretend like everything's okay because Jesus is coming back and it'll all be all good one day. And in the midst of this injustice in the world, what I want you guys to know is that we don't have a justice problem in the world, that we have a worship problem. We don't have a justice problem in the world. We have a worship problem. Because in our broken world, we must not be people of broken worship. We must not be people of broken worship. We're going to read out of Amos chapter 5 tonight. Specifically chapter 5, this section historically has been really connected to the civil rights movement in the 60s, 50s and 60s. Martin Luther King would use uh, uh, bits, bits and pieces of this, of this passage uh, whenever he would speak on the racial injustice in this world. And to give you a little context before we jump in there, Israel's been divided into two kingdoms, the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. And this one's written specifically to the northern kingdom. And Amos, who is a shepherd boy, receives a vision. He lives in the southern kingdom. He goes and talks about the coming judgment of Israel. He comes to them because they are living in peace and prosperity. And during that time that they're living in peace and prosperity, they become so complacent. They're so sheltered from what's going on around them that they are now starting to oppress the poor. They're even selling the poor people into slavery. God's people are complacent and are beating down the oppressed. So he comes and he spoke God's judgment and condemnation over them, and he called them to true repentance and true worship. Amos chapter 5, I'm actually going to read it from the screen in the uh, message version. Katie, if you would start in verse 4. I usually don't preach out of the message version, but I love how this says. 
So God's message to the family of Israel, seek me and live. Don't fool around at those shrines of Bethel. Don't waste time taking trips to Gilgal. And don't bother, be, don't bother going down to Beersheba. Gilgal is here today and gone tomorrow, and Bethel is all show. No substance. So seek God and live. You don't want to end up with nothing to show for your life. Remember, what will you be known for? But a pile of ashes, a house burned to the ground, for God will send, will send just such a fire. And the firefighters will show up too late. Woe to you who turn justice into vinegar and stomp righteousness, righteousness into the mud. Do you realize where you are? You are in a cosmos, star-flung with the constellations by God, a world, a world God wakes up each morning and puts to bed each night. God dips water from the ocean and gives the land a drink. God, God revealed, does all of this, and he can destroy it as easily as he makes it. He can turn this vast wonder into total waste. People hate this kind of talk, raw truth. It's never popular. But here it is, bluntly spoken, because you run roughshod over the poor and take the bread right out of their mouths, you're never going to move into the luxury homes you have built. You're never going to drink wine from the expensive vineyards you've planted. I know precisely the extent of your violations, the enormity of your sins, appalling. You bully right-living people, taking bribes right and left and kicking the poor when they are down. Justice is a lost cause. Evil is an epidemic. Decent people throw up their hands, protest and rebuke are useless, a waste of breath. Seek good and not evil and live. You talk about God, the God of the angel armies being your best friend. Well, live like it and maybe it will happen. Hate evil and love good, then work it out in the public square. Maybe God, the God of the angel armies, will notice your remnant and be gracious. Now again, my master's message God, God of the angel army, go out into the streets and lament loudly. Fill the malls and the shops with cries of doom. Weep loudly, not me, not us, not now. Empty offices, stores, factories, workplaces. Enlist everyone in the general lament. I want to hear it loud and clear when I make my visit. God's decree. Woe to you, to all of you who want God's judgment day. Why would you want to see God want him? Why would you want to see God want him to come? When God comes, it will be bad news before it's good news. The worst of times, not the best of times. Here's what it's like. Listen to this. A man runs from a lion right into the jaws of a bear. A woman goes home after a hard day's work and is raped by a neighbor. At God's coming, we face hard reality, not fantasy. A black cloud with no silver lining. Pay attention to this. I, this is God, can't stand your religious meetings. I am fed up with your conferences. I am fed up with your conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I am sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had it all I can take with your noisy ego music. When was the last time you actually sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. It's a long passage, but let me break it down. These people of God were chasing after idols. They're chasing after different gods. They're, they have forsaken God Almighty. They now have become so self-righteous, so selfish, that they are now the people who are supposed to be just, the people who are supposed to be those there for the broken heart are now beating down the broken heart. They are now, because of their greed, because of their selfishness, they are making people even more oppressed. Verse 10, it says, they hated those who tried to do what is right. People came in and says, no, 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 let's, let's fix the injustice. They're like, no, we don't want you to fix the injustice. 
They hated the people who tried to do right. What kind of society is it when people try to do something right and they're hated for it? Then God comes in and says, I know what you have done. I know how great your sins are. He flat out calls them out. I know what you've done. These people probably justified their, their rebuke of the poor. They probably looked upon the poor and said, you know what? I don't really think they deserve help. I don't know if they actually deserve it. Maybe somebody else will take care of them. Isn't that what the government's in place for? Isn't the kingdom supposed to take care of the poor people over there? Isn't that why we have welfare set up? Isn't that what that's for? I have my own needs to worry about. They'll probably even use that money to do something evil or wicked. Or, I don't have time for that. But God calls them to seek God, seek good, not evil. He calls them to live like they truly believe in the Lord. In verse 18, it says that these religious and unjust people, they long for the day of judgment. They long for God to come back and judge the world. But what they didn't realize was as they asked God to come back and judge the world, they don't realize that in that judgment he's the, that they are going to be judged. They are so self-righteous in their religion. They're so religious that they believe that God's going to glorify them, but in reality God's going to judge them. And he says, I despise what you do. I despise your religion. I hate your worship. So he comes down to verse 24, 21 through 24, and the big rebuke, it says, I despise it. You are trying to make yourself look good. You are trying to be self-righteous, but in reality, in your pursuit of holiness, you neglect the poor. You neglect the brokenhearted. You neglect the needy. You are oppressive. In reality, what he says is, you don't even love me, because if you love me, you would love them. And here's what I want you guys to pull out of this, is that you cannot... We cannot faithfully pursue holiness while ignoring injustice. We can't do it. If you look on our Facebook page right now, it says to know him and be made like him. That is great. We gather here every single week wanting to know him and be made like him, but we cannot pursue that without looking at what's going on around us. We cannot do that. Because God wants complete and total devotion, and these people here in Israel are just selfish, and they're hypocrites. So what about for us? So I'm going to ask you a question that's been challenging me the last few weeks. A couple of weeks ago in, my, in our small group, our adult small group, <clears throat> Becky Postlewood actually asked this question as we were reading John chapter 2. In John chapter 2, Jesus turns the water into wine, and shortly after that, he goes and clears out the temple. And he clears out the temple because there's a temple is supposed to be a place of worship, and there's a place of injustice going on as they are selling goods, they're selling different things out in the courtyard, which is where the Gentiles are supposed to worship. So in reality, he comes in and clears them out because of their broken worship. And so Becky asked the question, it's one that I'm still thinking through, I think it's one that we should always consider, would Jesus come back when he looked upon our worship, would he clear us out? If, God, if Jesus were to come back, walk through that door right now, as he looked upon our worship here tonight, would he go, you guys have turned this place into a den of thieves. You guys have robbed me of my glory for glory for yourself. You might be thinking that's a crazy thought. Again, I'm not talking about our awesome worship team. I'm not talking about how awesome you guys sound. You guys, all of you, sounded earlier when we sang the song You Say. That's not what I'm talking about. Because, again, it's so much more the music. What were they known for? The Israelites were known for broken worship. What will we be known for? Will we be also known for broken worship? Because here's the problem that we face now. If you are a Christian, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, here's the problem that we face in our country, in our society today. That all of this has become a black and white issue. It's become a black and white issue. 
You have two sides of it. Do we worship? Do we pursue holiness? Yes. Or, on the other side of it, do we always pursue justice? It's become so black and white, there's two different sides of the spectrum here that they can't coexist anymore. But in reality, they're supposed to coexist because they go hand in hand. That if we truly love Jesus, we're going to truly love one another, our neighbors. One side has become so self-centered in our pursuit to, in our pursuit to be holy. You see, because what we do, we come in here on Sunday mornings, we come here on Sunday nights, we come in here on Wednesday nights, and we sing all these songs, we spend time in God's Word, we go do all these things, all for the, to build ourselves up. In reality, what we're doing, if we're ignoring this over here, that's not worship, that's called selfishness. You're only concerned about yourself. And you're really the only concern you have is, I just want to stay out of hell. But yeah, there's also 5 billion people on the path to hell, do you not care about them? You selfish jerk. But then you get on the other side over here, and it's like, I want justice for everybody. And so because I want justice, I'm going to actually take God's word. I'm going to distort a little bit and say, that's not really what he means, because God says you're supposed to love everybody, which is true. You are supposed to love everybody. But you also get some nut jobs within the Christian church who, who as they preach justice, as they do this, they're now condemning everybody just straight to hell. They go outside and they go out in front of Planned Parenthood and said, abortion is murder. And yes, they are pro-life, but yet they don't consider the life of the mother who's broken also. Or they go down to military funerals and they, they, they fight against gay marriage, whatever it is, and they talk about, oh, hey, uh, did you hear that divorce rates amongst gay married couples is skyrocketing? Isn't that great? I'm like, are you kidding me? Regardless of their sin, you are now celebrating divorce. The one thing that you failed to recognize back in the 60s, the one thing that you did not address, and now you said, oh, you're going to hell because you're getting divorced. Now over here, it's like, well, you can get divorced now because I'm like, we are not loving these people. And you get so uptight about this justice that you don't even love them anymore. We all do this. No, I'm not saying you guys are growing out and you're protesting you're not doing all this stuff but what i'm saying what i'm saying is as we talked about forward retreat back in november if we truly love god we also have to love one another because if we don't love one another then we actually don't love god so what does this look like in worship what does this just worship look like what i want you guys to know that our Father, our Heavenly Father God, He desires worship in fullness of expression, but also fullness of compassion. What I mean by that is that God wants every single bit of you, your whole life. If for those of you who are at Passion, you heard Matt Chandler say, God does not want 99% of you, because you cannot be 99% known. God wants 100%. He wants your entire life. So you are going to serve him. You're going to worship him. You're going to worship him with fullness of expression. You're going to come and you're going to sing songs together. You're going to come and spend time listening to God's word. You're going to come and spend time in Bible study. But it cannot just be that because there also has to be fullness of compassion. Because when you believe Jesus Christ, you're going to want to live like Jesus Christ. And if you're going to live like Jesus Christ, you're going to have to look outside your own self and look upon the brokenness and injustice of this world and want to do something about it. Because we are no longer able to contain ourselves, we want to go out and stand against this injustice. Emma read earlier Micah 6, 6 through 8. Another part of Scripture where people's worship is broken. And he comes to them and says, 
God does not want your burnt offerings. God does not want your sin offerings. God does not want all these things. Here's all that God wants. This is what God requires of you, and there's three things. And the first one is that we are required to do justice. We're required to do justice. We're called to do justice. Guess what the word, I heard someone say this the other day. You know what the word do means in the original language? Do it. Nothing really spectacular. Nike made a big slogan out of it. Just do it. You go out and you do justice. Because you love Jesus, you do justice. The second thing is that we are called to love mercy. Do you want to know why we love mercy? Because God has poured out his mercy upon us. Do you know what all of us actually deserve? If you really want to talk about what is fair, what is just, is that all seven billion of us deserve to be in eternity in hell. That's what true justice would look like. But we love mercy. We love pouring out our own mercy on people. We love looking at people and saying, you know what, I see the sin that you are struggling with, but I'm not looking at the sin, I'm looking at your heart. And I say, God wants to come into your life. God wants to sanctify you. God wants to make you whole. And through that, some of those sins will start disappearing. And the third is that we are called to walk humbly with our God. That's my favorite part about this. You know what that means? Don't think so highly of yourself. You're not that special. Yes, God looks upon you, and you are special in his eyes, but that's not what I'm saying, is that is we as Christians do not think so highly of ourselves that we are better, that we are perfect, that we look better, we act better. Because in reality, sometimes we're worse. But why is it, just like in this story of Amos chapter 5, people could not come to the temple, people could not come to the judge and receive justice. Just like today, people could not come into church without feeling like their world is going to crush down around them. Because now they think, I don't want to go there. They're a bunch of bigots. They're a bunch of hypocrites. Well, the actual reality is we are a bunch of hypocrites. Join the party. And you might be thinking here tonight, that's not me. But I'm going to read you from Matthew 25. This is Jesus talking to his followers. Matthew 25, starting in verse 36. Excuse me, verse 35. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous, the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry? And when did we feed you or, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer him, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one, to the least of these, my brothers, you did to me. But Jesus says there, when you do this to them, you do to him. He says, look upon the broken, look upon the naked, look upon the starving, look upon all those people that we listed off, look upon all this injustice in the world and see Jesus in that person. I'm going to read you a quote here at the bottom. I think you all have it on your paper, from William Wilberforce, who uh, was a politician in England, and he fought against the slave trade. And one of the quotes he had, it says, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never say again that you did not know. You may choose to look the other way, but you can say, never, you can never say again that you did not know. And what he says in the reality of the injustice of slavery is like, you might look the other way, you might disagree in, the, in terms of slavery, but in the end of the day, you can say that you never knew about it. And that's what I want you guys to hear today. All the things that we listed off, you might want to choose and look the other way, 
You might want to choose and look the other way about the 40 million people. 40 million people trapped in slavery today, and you might look the other way, but guess what? At the end of the day, you, you can't say you didn't know about it. And when you don't look about it, all you do is sing louder. Back to the story earlier of the Holocaust. You're just singing louder. You're pursuing your own self-righteousness. You're pursuing your own selfish greed that you don't even care. What will we be known by? A church that worships in self-righteousness and self-indulgence and neglects the poor and the oppressed? Or a church who, in their pursuit of justice, neglects their own need for holiness and mercy? Or will be a church who sees worship and justice going hand in hand, that worship responds, our, our response and worship will propel us and compel us to do justice, love, mercy, walk humbly with our God. And as we close, I want, you to, I want to read Psalm 82 to you. 